Welcome to TrollBlack.com. We're kicking off Season 3 of our podcast series, The Road to the 2020 Olympics. As most everyone in the climbing community has heard, there will be three disciplines featured as a combined sport in the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, Japan. Those three disciplines will include speed climbing, bouldering, and lead climbing. Unfortunately, most people in the climbing community are a bit confused as to the format and the process of which the athletes will be chosen. Until I started digging a bit deeper, I naively assumed that every country would be represented, but as I quickly discovered, that isn't necessarily the case. In fact, there is no guarantee that United States or any other major country will be represented. How can that be when we have so many climbers climbing at such a high level? 515, V16, that's a really good question. Well, you're about to find out. With me, I have the distinct honor and privilege to introduce John Bergman with Climbing Magazine, who has been reporting on the World Cup competition scene for as long as I can remember. So I couldn't think of anyone better to help us understand the format and how the athletes will be chosen. John, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you know, after our last conversation, I just started thinking about going, you know, because um, I've been thinking about doing this, you know, Road to 2020 Olympics series. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what a perfect person to start this off with is you, because you've really been following this. And I, I you know, you know, you read the articles, and oftentimes you don't notice who wrote the article. And then I start going back, and yeah. I realize your name kept popping up. I'm going, I've been following you all along. It's like you, yeah. you're a great writer, dude. Uh, your your stuff oh, is thanks. right, yeah, and very informative. And uh, you know, this last piece that I read um, that I wanted to talk to you about is mm-hmm. how the climbers will be chosen for the 2020 Olympics. Yeah. And you know, you wrote it so eloquently. It, it's like. I had to read it. I still had to read it like three or four times to really like get it, get it. And I've talked to so many climbers as recently yesterday when I was having a training session at the gym, you know, we were talking about it and, and I was amazed how very few people really get how this is going down. And they're very confused because it doesn't follow your typical format or how we would think it would be put together. And I was just wondering if you could kind of, Walk us through that a little bit. Sure. But before, yeah. But, but before, but yeah. before we do, let, let's let's talk a little bit about you because I want to introduce you properly. Because you know, dude, you're you're all over the place, and uh, you know, I've seen you in the climbing magazine for a long time. But you also write for a bunch of other magazines too, don't you? I do. I I write. Um, I I write. Write about a lot of different stuff, but I, competition climbing is definitely what I love to write about, and, and most of that's for Climbing Magazine. Um, I also write a little bit about competitions for Climbing Business Journal, but that kind of expands into just the gym scene in general, kind of broader industry stuff. Um, I've written a couple things for Gym Climber Magazine, um, but then kind of panning out from climbing, I've written about um, other sports and outdoor activities. Um, I, I, years ago, I wrote a couple uh, little reviews for Esquire, and I'm, I used to be an editor at Outdoor Life magazine. Um, so, so yeah, I've kind of, <laughs> I've, I've, I've had a hand in uh, a lot of different writing about a lot of different subjects over the years. But, um, but competition climbing is what I really love, and that's what I love to write about. So, whenever I get the chance. Um, that's the topic that I enjoy. And how did you get involved in that? Were you competing yourself? I was. I was not competing. I, you know, I was always just a fan of competition climbing, dating back to um, in the in the early 2000s. So this is predating even USA Climbing as the national governing body. There was a, a series of competitions called the American Bouldering Series, the ABS series, and and that's where some of the climbers that are still famous today, like Daniel Woods and Alex Cuccio and Paul Robinson, a lot of those those competitors kind of first made a name for themselves on the ABS circuit at the ABS competitions. And those the results of those competitions used to be published in a, a magazine around the time called Urban Climber. And I just remember I used to... I used to just be so excited when the new edition, when the new issue of Urban Climber would show up at the, you know, at the bookstore, at the newsstand, because I would 
um, I could see the results of those competitions. And, and then things really took off um, probably around like two, 2011 or 2012. That, that's when the IFSC actually started live streaming their World Cup competitions on YouTube. And, and so that, that gave me just a whole new level of access to competitions, um, not only seeing the results, but actually, you know, watching, witnessing the competitions live and getting to know the, the different styles of the various competitors and stuff. Um, and so that's kind of when I started getting into it as far as something that I wanted to, to cover, to write about, probably around 2011, 2012. Right, right on. Yeah, because you know, it's it's really evolved. I mean, I remember when the competition scene started happening way back at Snowbird, for example, mm-hmm. um, which I was quite involved with, and seeing what the format is today, and and you know, you just how have you seen it change over the years? Well, that's a big question, you know, because if you're, I mean, compared to the older the competitions, especially if you're if you're looking back at at snowbird you know in 1988 the first snowbird competition um it was it was lead climbing um sport climbing you know there was no bouldering portion um speed climbing was a a thing um although it was in a kind of a different form than it is now in terms of like the wall and the setup and everything um and 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 especially back in those in those early days of competition climbing, what you had in a lot of cases were competitors that were just outdoor climbers, you know, that was kind of their, their thing. And then they competed in the competition, uh, just kind of for kicks, right. Just for fun. They, they get into a competition and do it a couple times. And that's very different from today where you actually have competitors who, who specialize in competing, you know, they climb indoors, they climb on plastic, and and that's kind of their main thing, and that's a that's a a big change from from the generations of climbers from from you know long ago from back in the 80s and even back into the 90s. So that's been very different. Um, and then if you you know once you get into the Olympic format, which I you know we can get into that as well, but that's a that's a totally new thing um, where you are not having necessarily a specialist in bouldering or lead climbing or speed climbing. It's the competitors have to compete in all three. So that's sort of an, an even greater degree of, of um, just kind of difference from, from years ago. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. What's really confusing a lot of people is that you would think like many of the other sports, like for example, snowboarding, you can, yeah compete in the half pipe, you can compete in uh, a border cross, you can do the slope style, this, but you don't have to, I don't believe you have to compete in all three in order to be on the Olympics, and each one has a gold medal, which is what the French is trying to advocate for the, was it 2024? Right. And I'm just surprised that the format for the Tokyo 2020 is the way it is. And I was just wondering who made that decision to go that direction in terms of making the competitors all have to do all three in order to qualify. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I don't know specific names. I would imagine, I mean, that's coming from the Olympic, the the international Olympic committee, right? They're choosing that format. Um, And, and you know that because when it was announced, when it was first announced as the format back in, 2016 that's that's when the announcement was made that climbing was going to be included in the olympics uh in 2020 Uh, when it was announced almost across the board climbers were just uh, shocked and and surprised and kind of perplexed by the format because it was so unprecedented uh so you know so you know that it was not climbers making that making that decision um and i think you know the reason for for doing that for, from what i've researched is probably because the the olympic committee only has a certain number of medals that they can that they can designate to the sport at least in 2020 and so they don't you know you can't they don't have the freedom to give a medal for speed climbing and a medal for bouldering and a medal for sport climbing you know you have to just put them all together and give a single medal for that 
Um, now, it, it, it sounds like it is changing for 2024, potentially, um, but it's definitely not the format. The combined format is not something that, that – I don't even think it's something that most climbers even – like would have envisioned as being a thing like we we've never thought of climbing um as a as a tr- kind of triathlon in that sense right that um yeah no kidding so yeah so i mean so it's just it really kind of came out of left field um and it's something that we've all kind of had to get used to not only those of us like you and me kind of fans of the sport or analysts of the sport or whatever but also the competitors you know this was totally new for them and so what you had was all of a sudden when the the announcement comes out in 2016 um you have all these competitors who like have only done say bouldering and all of a sudden now they're having to get on the speed wall and try speed climbing because they know that to to have a shot at being in the Olympics, they're going to have to get pretty proficient at, at these disciplines that aren't, that aren't their, their bread and butter. So there's been a big learning curve for, for everybody, competitors and, and fans. Yeah. And it seems like it's from the fan point of view, from all the climbers or the millions of climbers who are going to be watching the Olympics. You know, I think they were, at least from, speaking for myself, it would have been so cool if, you know, you had the world best sport climbers competing head to head, and then you had the world's best boulders competing head to head, and then you had the world's best speed climbers competing head to head. And then if you wanted to, um, kind of like in track and field, you, you could enter all three and see who was the winner of all. Um, and now we're, we have no idea who's even going to get into the Olympics if any of our superstars won't even qualify. And that's yeah. where I really wanted to kind of pick up with your article of how they will actually be chosen because, you know, it's just like there's only 20 spots from what I understand and, and the male and female for all countries combined. And I was just wondering if you would kind of take us through that of how it breaks down because there's a number of different competitions that they have to compete in in order to qualify. And... Mm-hmm. You know, I was just wondering if you could take us through that. Sure, yeah. Well, the it's like I say, I said in that article, the, the number that you have to remember going into all this is 20 because there there's only going to be 20, um, 20 male competitors and 20 female competitors that make it to the Olympics, that qualify for the Olympics. And and that's that's kind of exciting, but it also means that there's going to be a lot – undoubtedly, there's going to be some big names – some of the famous international climbers that, that don't make it, that get left out because 20, I mean, if you think about combining all those disciplines, bouldering and lead and speed, you could rattle off two dozen or, or more easily competitors that are, that are well-known and yet there's only going to be 20. Um, so you go, if you go in, you go into all this, keeping that number in mind, 20 for the men, 20 for the women. Um, and then there are going to be a series of, competitions leading up to the summer of 2020 leading up to the olympics where uh, competitors will have an opportunity to to qualify for the olympic team um the first of those is going to be the world championships and those are going to be in, in tokyo in japan um this coming august at the end of august 2019 there will be climbing world champions championships in japan and at that event there's seven slots for the men and seven slots for the women that will be, that will be Olympic qualification spots. So in other words, it's going to be the combined format and the top seven men and the top seven women will get Olympic births at that, at that event. Um, and then the, there's, the there's also com- one, there's also one other thing that I've noticed that yeah. just picking up a note that I actually had regarding that is that let's say United States sweeps, and you even mentioned that, mm-hmm. um, only two of each gender is uh, accepted. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. And that kind of complicates things because um, – and, and that's not true for just that event. That's true for all of these events. The, the, going back to that number of 20, 20 men, 20 mm-hmm. women, um, throughout all these events, at the end of it, you can only have two men and two women from each country at the most. Um, so that exactly that you're exactly right. If if a country like the United States would sweep a competition, um, you know, only the top two from that country would would be given the Olympic berth, and then the going down, you know, you you'd sort of just remove all those other uh, Americans in this case that 
that finished in the top seven and you'd kind of just bump all the, all the competitors that are below them up in terms of who gets the Olympic berth. Um, so there's a lot, if, there, yeah. So if, if let's say that did happen, it could be any country. It could be France that did the same thing. And they got their two slots. Now, are those two, whether it's men or women, um, are they allowed to compete in any of the other competitions? Or are they automatically, they step aside and, and just go through, let everyone else compete? I haven't ones. read that. Yeah, I, that's a good question. I have not heard anything or read anything or in talking to people and trying to research this. I have not heard that they wouldn't be allowed to compete in other competitions. I think it would just be that they would be ineligible, obviously, like whatever their place is. Um, Except for when you get down to the Continental Championships, which we can talk about in a second, but those mm-hmm. are closed to people, you know, those are closed to outsiders other than the people that the federations that are within that specific continent. Um, but I, I think competitors will, will likely be allowed to compete if they've already got that Olympic berth. Um, it, from their point of view, I would think they would want to, right? Because this going back to how new the format is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like get, get, any experience is so in, I mean, you think about other sports where competitors have, I mean, they, they hone, you know, they fine tune their skills for a decade or two decades, you know, with the hope of being at, in the Olympics and for the combined format, it's like these competitors have in some cases just kind of started doing this a year or two ago. So any competition that you can participate in that is in the Olympic format would be great preparation, would be really valuable. So I would think that the competitors uh, would would certainly want to compete in as many combined format events as possible, whether or not, you know, they had already qualified. Let's hope. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, because the competitors are gonna, they're going to need they're going to need all the all the experience they can get, right? Because the format's so it's so new. Mhm. Yeah. And the next the um, so, next round is yeah. what in Toulouse? Yeah. Yeah. So that's so the world championships um in Tokyo in August, that's that's seven men, seven women. And then the next event would be in uh it starts at the end of November and it goes into December of uh two thousand nineteen. So like this coming fall, winter. Um that's the Olympic qualifying event and that's in France. And that is six men and six women. So so by the end of that event you would have had seven men and seven women from that first world championship and then you would have six men and six women from the olympic qualifying event so at the end of that you'd have 13 men and 13 women that are given those those you know of those 20 slots for olympic births you'll have those finalized at that point and Japan gets um, two, if I remember right, as well. Yeah, so that's another. So that, again, there's all these like little, kind of fascinating little uh, complications or little nuance. That's a, that's another aspect that we can talk about, which is that uh, Japan is automatically given a spot because they are the host country. So uh, it, it's very unlikely that Japan would not qualify just kind of through the normal route through just the events themselves because their team is their international their their national team is is quite strong and there's a lot of depth but let's say for whatever reason Japan would just flood every single every single qualifying event um they would still get a spot because they are the host country of the 2020 Olympics so there there, there would be a Japanese competitor uh for the men and a Japanese competitor for the women climbing in the Olympics no matter no matter how terribly these qualification events would go for Japan. Um yeah. Fair enough. And yeah, it, I mean it makes sense. It's kind of like a a gesture of kind of goodwill, right, to the to the host country. Um and 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 there's also there's another slot that is that is called the tripartite the the tripartite invitation. And that that is so. What we're doing essentially is you have that like that big magic number of twenty um, for the qualification spots, and one of those is given to the host country. So it kind of gets automatically sort of whittled down to nineteen. But then another spot gets um, gets given to the the tripartite uh, invitation. The tripartite is kind of this committee um, of a couple different groups that come together every Olympics, and they they 
choose, they just choose uh, somebody who gets an, you know, an Olympic invitation, not based on qualification, but just based on, uh, you know, whatever they discuss. And, and that's another interesting bit of nuance because that could go several different ways. I think there's, there's a couple of different ways that the tripartite invitation um, could, could go. And we can get into that if, you know, if you'd like to talk about that. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's the whole idea of like this um, interview is to uh, talk about all of this, that um, anyone who's really interested, and I know a lot of people are interested in it, um, yeah. has a really clear understanding of how this works. Yeah, sure. Well, let's talk. So the tripartite, so you think about, Again, going back to that there's only 20 spots. I know it's, I sound like a broken record, but like there's only nope. 20 spots for men, 20 spots for women. Um, so that's going to leave a lot of competitors who are, who are really good and who have a, a big name, if not internationally, certainly in their, in their home country. Um, that's going to leave them on the sidelines. And so I, I, I don't want to jinx anybody by saying like, let's say so-and-so doesn't qualify, but, you know, just think of insert – you know, big name climber here. And mm-hmm. let's say that they, for whatever reason, wouldn't qualify. Um, the tripartite commission, you could see kind of logic in them saying that, well, we, this person didn't qualify, but they're so, you know, they're so famous. They have such a following or they've been such an ambassador for the sport that we should give them the invitation because I mean, think about, you know, we know the Olympics is it's entertainment as much as sports, right. And oh, yeah. as much as it's competition. And, so if you have a big name climber, somebody that's world famous in there, that's going to bring that's going to bring a lot of viewers, more eyes to the to the television. And so that's one way that the that the tripartite invitation could go. They could just give it to a big name climber who maybe didn't qualify. Mm-hmm. Um, another way, kind of similarly, but let's say not necessarily the climber himself or herself, but let's just say there's a big a, a country that has a lot of viewers that does not have a climber who qualifies like, um, you know, let's say like the United States or China, these countries that, that have, you know, where competition climbing is really popular. There's a huge viewership in terms of who's going to watch the Olympics potential viewership. If they would not get any climber to qualify, any competitor to qualify for the Olympics, you could kind of see logic in the tripartite, you know, invitation, that commission getting together and saying, well, there's no, you know, say there's no Chinese competitor who qualified, but China is a really big market. So it'd be, it'd be great to have a Chinese competitor in there, you know, and then they would, they would give that invitation that way. Um, the third way that I could see the, the tripartite invitation going is it could be kind of the opposite. It could be a, a small country um, with a, with maybe like an up and coming federation that, that just doesn't have kind of the infrastructure for competition climbing that other big countries do. And they could almost give it as like this goodwill gesture or something like that. Like just this, just this past week, there was a plenary commission um, for the IFSC and they announced that, that Fiji, the Fiji, Fiji's climbing federation was formally introduced. It was formally invited to join the IFSC. Um, And so you could see kind of maybe, uh, because of that, as sort of a celebration of that, the the, the um, tripartite invitation could go to a climber from Fiji, right? Um, so there's just no way there's just no way to, to know. There's no precedent for the for the the tripartite invitation. It could go a bunch of different ways, uh, but that's just another aspect that's kind of fun to to think about and to discuss. Wow, <laughs> so yeah. much for all of us to think about. Yeah. Thanks for. Sh- so there's the two competitions. We're whittled yep. down to, from my count, 15, which leaves five remaining spots for each men and women. Yes, that's right. And those will be contested over a series of different continental championships. And now these are different from those first the, the first big competitions, the, uh, the Olympic qualifying event and the world championships, because – these will be closed to any competitor that's not from that continent, basically. Um, so the first of these continental championships is going to be in, in February of 2020, and that's actually going to be the, the, the Pan Am 
Continental Championship. So that'll be the one that the American competitors are, are participating in. Um, and that's, that's, that's actually be, that's, in Los Angeles. At yeah, Center, Center One, one right? Gym. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and it's a lot more, it's, it's a lot kind of tighter there. There's only uh, those first um, Olympic event, you know, the, the events that we talked about, you have what, seven, seven competitors and six competitors. Well, these, this Continental Championship, there's only one man and one woman that will get the qualifying spot for the Olympics. Um, so that's so the 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 North America, South America, those will those will compete at the Pan Am Continental Championships in February. Um, in April of 2020, there's the Europe Continental Championships. Those are going to be in in Russia. And uh, also in April, there's the um, Oceania Continental Championships in in Sydney, Australia. And then um, in May, I think the Africa African Continental Championships are going to be in South Africa, and then that same month there's going to be the Asia Continental Championships. And at all these Continental Championships, just like the one in in at Sender One, it's only going to be one man and one woman for each continent that gets that that Olympic berth. So wow. when you, Talk when about you add it up, yeah. Oh, these are those are going to be they're they're going to be so exciting. There's the pressure is going to be just kind of off the charts. Yeah, um, no kidding. <laughs> and and so when you add it all up, you have seven from the seven competitors from the World Championship, uh, six from the Olympic qualifying event, and one from from each of these continental championships, plus the berth for the the home country Japan, and then plus the tripartite invitation. It all adds up to twenty spots, um, oh. and that's kind of how you come to that magic number. Yeah. Now we have the U.S. climbing team chosen. Mm-hmm. And have you gone through that list of, do you see any favorites there that uh, you think have a shot at uh, making the Olympics? Yeah, there's, so we have had, so, so the United States has had its own little competition circuit this past year where competitors accrued points over various events. Um, and those points, eventually went towards forming a, a national combined team. So these, these competitors who are, um, according to the fact that they're on the team, these, are, these have been deemed kind of like the best Americans at this combined format. Um, and these are, the, these are the competitors that will, be, that will be going to all of these events that we just talked about to try and qualify for the Olympics. These these. These Americans have not qualified for the Olympics yet. I think that's a point that needs to be made very clear. But they are the they are the competitors that will go to all these Olympic events to try to qualify. And there are four uh, four men on the women on the team four men on the the team, and then there are four women on the team on this uh, this U.S. combined team. Um, and it's it's tough. You can I. I it's hard to make a prediction who will, you know, who might do the best. I think what you can do though, is you can look at each competitor kind of individually and you can make a case why he or she has a pretty good shot at, at kind of rising above, you know, becoming sort of the cream of the crop and maybe qualifying for the Olympics. Um, And we can go through the competitors if you'd like, you know? Yeah, let's do that. Sure. Um, the, you know, um, the United States uh, had its own combined invitational. Um, w- w- it was open to, to American climbers. This was um, in January. It was held in uh, Salt Lake. And, uh, and the winners of the combined invitational, so it's competitors that did the, the, the format, the sort of triathlon format that will be in the Olympics. They did it in an American context. So they competed in speed climbing, in lead climbing, and in, uh, in bouldering. The winners of that combined invitational in the U.S. were Zach Gala for the men, and um, for the women, it was Kyra Condi. And so I think if you're just kind of, if you want to just go strictly by statistics, by the numbers, you you have to say that those two um, are are very big Olympic hopefuls at this point because they have a track record. They have they've proven to be proficient in the format, right? By by beating all the other Americans. Um, now it doesn't give us the the U.S. 
combined invitational doesn't give us any indication on how the Americans might do against international competitors, but it, it did prove to us that Kyra Condi and Zach Gala um, can, you know, they rose above the rest of the Americans at that event. So I think for the men and for the women, you have to consider those two kind of at the top of the respective field. Um, kind now, of going down the list. Now, did for, they for the, have a particular, yeah. I'm just curious there, because, you know, you get some big names like Margot Hayes yeah. and Ashima um, yeah. and Drew. Um, did they have a particular um, uh, strategy that enabled them to gain more points than their other competitors? I think the strategy is uh, – uh, that's a good question. I think the strategy going into it is you know, you don't have to win. The combined format is kind of interesting because it means that you don't necessarily have to win every discipline right? Um, because your score is, it's, it's a, your score is multiplied. Your, your speed time, you know, your speed score, your place in speed is multiplied by your place in bouldering, which is multiplied by your place in the sport portion or the lead climbing portion. Um, and so to win, assuming that no other competitor places first in all three of those disciplines, you, you know, you don't have to actually win all three of them. You just have to win. You, you know, you just have to be at the end of it when all the sports, when all the disciplines are multiplied together. You have to be the one that that comes out on top. So, um, I think a strategy would be do your. I mean, it sounds kind of obvious, but like do your best in every discipline, but you don't necessarily have to win every every discipline. Um, mm -hmm. And and w but when you look at Someone, for instance, say Kyra Condi, right? She is traditionally she's not a speed specialist. Her her specialty has been kind of prior to this combined format becoming a thing. Uh, her specialties were lead climbing and bouldering. Um, but that being said, you know, at the combined invitational, she clocked. I think her time was like a nine point two. I think her her best time during the speed portion, which is pretty, that's pretty fast. I mean, the uh, the American record for the women in speed climbing is like eight point six seconds. Um, so she was pretty so, good. Yeah, and so the fact that that Kyra is approaching that nine second flat mark, um, you know, that's a pretty fast speed climb for somebody that's not traditionally a speed climber. So I think that just kind of proves that the strategy would be get get kind of good at all at all three disciplines right you can't rely like kyra condi for example we said she's a, traditionally a bouldering specialist and a lead specialist well she can't rely on those disciplines she also has to do decent she doesn't have to win but she has to do decent in in speed climbing as well mm -hmm. um so that the strategy is kind of to become a pretty uh a pretty good all-arounder now how's that you said that it's multiplied um, so you have one event, let's say you came in second or third. So you get a certain amount of points for that. Yeah. And then you say you came in fifth from the next one. Yeah. Um, so it's multiplied times that number. It keeps getting multiplied. Yeah. yeah I think it, it, it depends. You know, I don't know if the Olympic format is going to, follow the same the same format as the this the American combined invitational they probably will um but yeah so your 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 score um is is you know every score is kind of computed together to get that final to get your final score and and what that means is that if you look at the at the the how the the people did at the US combined invitational the people that that placed really high, they were not getting, um, they were not getting like first, first and fifth, you know, or first, first and sixth place in terms of the different disciplines. It wasn't like first place in bouldering, first place in lead, sixth place in speed. It was like, they're near the top of the heap in all of them. Um, you know, you don't have to, like I said, you don't have to win every event, but you have to be, you know, first or second or, or third in all the events to to have that score come out to the point where you would be the the victor mm -hmm. 
Now, uh, wow. are the scores added or multiplied? That's Ooh, question. that's a good question. I, I, yeah, I'd have to go back and watch the, I'd have to watch the combined, uh, the U.S. combined invitational because another thing that's, that's kind of complicating all this is since the combined invitational in January, um, America has also had a bouldering nationals and a sport and speed nationals. So, so it's funny that uh, the, the, the combined invitational, it was a big deal and it still is a big deal. But um, since then we've had in the U.S., we've had two other big, um, big events. So, so I'd have to go back and, and read about how the scoring um, was specified, but that's, that'd be pretty easy to find out. Yeah. There's just so many questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, looking back, so, so, kind of going down this list of competitors again, right? Um, you had Zach Allen, Kyra Condi for the, for the men and for the women who won that event. Now, the, the, the runners-up should also be mentioned because um, it, if things had gone just slightly differently, you know, like the, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be Zach Allen, Kyra Condi, who we'd be saying have to statistically be in pretty good shape. It would be Nathaniel Coleman, who was the runner-up for the men, and Brooke Rabatou, who was the runner-up for the women at the combined invitational. Th- those two have to also be considered it as having a pretty good, uh, a pretty good, you know, being a pretty p- good position heading into the, the Olympic qualifier. Um, and again, just like we were saying with, with Kyra Condi, you look at Nathaniel Coleman, he's traditionally a boulderer, like a hundred percent, you know, he won, he won bouldering nationals, three years in a row, 2016, 2017, 2018. So there's no question that bouldering is his, is his discipline, is his bread and butter. But at the, at the combined invitational in the speed climbing, he clocked, I think his time was like a, almost a seven flat. Um, and the American record is, is like 5.9. The American record like right around six flat. So, so Nathaniel Coleman is, is, um, you know, his, his speed time is, only about a second from the uh, the American record for the men. So he's he's traditionally a boulderer, but he's also proving this this idea that you have to be a good all arounder mm-hmm. uh, because he's also he's becoming good at at speed and he's you know he's good at lead as well. So so he just, that just kind of affirms what we were talking about in terms of the strategy: become good at become decent, if not great at at all three disciplines. Now, it seems one thing I've noticed is that people who are really strong in bouldering can become really good at sport climbing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Chris Sharma was a good example of that. Um, and Adam Undra and all of them. Yeah. But which which discipline have you found of the sport and the bouldering crosses over to speed climbing? Have you seen one in particular that... Um, favors a boulderer more than a sport climber? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I, I don't know if there, I mean, you just looking at the mechanics of speed climbing, speed climbing is a lot about, it's a lot about timing. Um, it's a lot about, I mean, you're, if you've ever, if, if anybody listening has ever watched a, a speed heat or a speed run, I mean, it's a lot of power, right? You're, you're essentially, mm-hmm. you're kind of like dynoing to every hold and your feet are just, I mean, your feet are sort of smearing, um, but it's, it's just a lot of upper body strength, uh, upper body dynamic movement. Um, and so you would think that that would be more akin to bouldering, which is obviously, you always hear about bouldering as being kind of the more powerful of the disciplines. Um mm-hmm. But I think I don't know if I don't know if you can really say because nowadays the, the sport climbing is is very you know elite level sport climbing is so powerful in its own right right there's just been so much kind of crossbreeding of the different styles um, that I don't no know doubt. if you could say I don't know if you could say definitively that like a lead climber or a boulderer is going to do is going to do naturally better at speed climbing or it's going to lend itself better to speed climbing. Speed climbing is just, it's, it's really its own thing. I mean, you're getting into like a big part of speed um, is, is the reaction time at the start, right? Like Mm -hmm. when that, when that buzzer goes off and you have to go, it's just like the, in track and field, like the hundred meter sprint, right? Sprinters practice 
um, just repeatedly starting out of the blocks, right? That's like, because that's a huge part of, of, of the race is who gets off the line quicker, who, who starts quicker. And that's, that's the same for speed climbing. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, I've interviewed speed climbers and I've, and I've talked to speed climbers and they just spend, I mean, they'll have entire practice sessions where all they're doing is just working on their, their kind of start time, their reaction to that buzzer going off. And, and that's something that's, you know, that's not a, an issue at all in, in sport climbing or in lead climbing or in bouldering. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a, a, a sport climber or a boulder would, would have to work on that aspect, the timing aspect, uh, kind of equally. You know, and, and also for bouldering or, or for for bouldering and lead climbing, speed is not really an issue for either one of those, right? Like, I mean, like you are timed in competitions, you are timed um, for bouldering and for sport climbing, but it's 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 very rare that you see competitors timed out. Um, mm -hmm. on the on the lead wall or on in bouldering True. Um, you know you do have competitors like i'm thinking of jaeen kim who's a south korean uh very decorated south korean lead climber and she's you know she traditionally climbs very slow on the lead wall um so so like speed the, the speed or the pace is a factor for for lead climbing and for bouldering but not to the level where you can kind of compare it to the the degree that the pace is important for speed climbing. It's just totally different. Yeah. When you watch some of the sport climbers, like say Adam under, for example, mm -hmm. man, that guy just climbs like a rocket. I mean, he is just climbing so fast Yeah. Um, that you think that of all the competitors, I mean, I'm just like looking out at all the world field here. He's probably the guy in the men's field to beat. He probably, he's, I mean, anytime, yeah, anytime you're talking about a competition climb event, like Adam Andre's got to be at the top of the, you know, he's in the conversation, he's at the top of the list for sure. Um, but interestingly, you know, if you look back at the, 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 the IFSC, the International Governing Body of Competition Climbing actually held last year, they held a combined uh, invitational their you know format competition at the at the world championships last year and um adam andre did not he did not win at the combined format at the um at the world championships the winner there was jacob schubert and and for for the men and for the women it was Yanya garnbrett so um so so it's you know adam andre is he's a powerhouse but that event proves that he's not he's not unbeatable, you know, I mean, everybody has mm -hmm. good days and bad days. And so as much as it, it would be, I mean, you can't go wrong predicting that Adam Andre is going to do really well. Um, there are also, you know, there are other names that, that are certainly in the conversation and that's what makes it so exciting because it's, you know, there's, it, that's why we love sports, right? It's just, anything could happen. And this is, it's never been truer for, for climbing than in than in the Olympics, where kind of every aspect of it is so unprecedented. Oh my God, <clears throat> there's there's those heavy gravity days that everyone has. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, right. just, we call it any given Sunday. You could be feeling strong, or you can be feeling weak, and so yeah. Yeah, and, and think about together. you know, yeah. And we had the heavy gravity days, and now imagine, you know, it's not just a heavy. It's not just. Like maybe you, this is, it's three, it's three disciplines, right? It's speed, it's, it's bouldering and it's sport climbing or lead climbing. And so it's like, you could do great. You could feel great on two of those. And then if you just like have a big blunder on the third, uh, oh. that could cost it, that could cost you everything. So it's, mm -hmm. it's like that idea of having a, a good day and bad day. It's, it's like even magnified because you could have the best lead climb of your life and the best bouldering session of your life. And then for whatever reason, if you just, uh, you know, have a, uh, you're having an off day on speed climbing, then it could all, it could all crumble or, or for speed climbing, it's, it's like, you just, I mean, there's, it's, it's hard, it's fast paced. So you could have just like one little slip and it could just cost you, uh, it could cost you everything in the Olympics. So, um, so yeah, uh, you know, good days and bad days, um, kind of magnified.
Well, you're just looking at these lists here of the women, Margot Hayes mm-hmm. and Ashima are also on the list right behind yeah. Brooke. Um, Brooke Rapatua, I mean, if I remember right, Robin, her mom, um, was a World Cup uh, competitor herself. So um, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> yeah, Brooke is kind of she's, – she's a real interesting case because uh, – I mean, you can kind of look at several of these competitors and see that they're they're tied to the heritage of American competition climbing. Uh, they're kind of tied to the history, um, and Brooke is is definitely one of those. I mean, her parents, um, her mom DDA, was a, yeah. yeah, DDA was he won the the second. We we talked briefly at the beginning of the conversation about the first snowbird competition. Um, in 1988, and DDA actually won the second snowbird competition the, the next year in 1989. He was the winner, and he's Brooks' father. And then her mother, uh, Robin Herbisfield Rabatou, um, is I mean, she's one of the most decorated competitors in, in American history. You know, she was um, crushing on the international scene, um, kind of in, mainly in, in you know in the 90s, um, and and so. Brooke, um, I, I, I said this, I can't remember if it was in that article, but I said that, you know, it just, it like wouldn't feel right if Brooke wasn't on this national team, this, this team that has this shot at the Olympics, uh, at qualifying for the Olympics. It just something, it just it wouldn't feel right if Brooke wasn't on it because she is so, with her family ties and everything, she's so closely like enveloped, you know, in the, in the competition history for America. So yeah, it's great I, that she's I, on the team. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. In fact, uh, I wasn't at all surprised when I saw how well she did. And I was just like on, right on. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she's, I mean, she's, it's like we said, she has to be, she has to be, thought of as a as a big american hopeful because she's one of those competitors who is a really good all-arounder um mm-hmm. and she's she's also because her family connections and stuff she i mean she's she's been climbing for i think i read that like she climbed she started climbing before she could even walk or something like that you know so she <laughs> uh she and and she's been on her mom you know it runs uh the teen abc out of boulder they're they're kind of one of the most um which Margot uh, Hayes was a big part of, remember, right? Yep, yep. Which Margot Hayes was a, was a product of as well, and and so there's a lot of um, depth there, and so you just know that Brooke is kind of the product of of a really um, a good system. Not only the you know the family she comes from, but also the team that she trains on, and kind of the team that she cut her teeth on. Um, and it's made her a great competitor in all three disciplines. She's really good. She's really good at lead climbing. She's really good at bouldering and she's, she's really good at, at, she's really fast at speed climbing. So, um, and, and as evidenced by the fact that she was the runner up at, at the, um, at the combined invitational for the U S beating out big names, Margot Hayes and Ashima. Uh, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And, and, and those are two others that, you know, just, I know that Brooke, while Brooke beat them there, um, they, you know, they have to be in the conversation as well. Margot just, she just won the uh, sport nationals, the American sport nationals just a couple weeks ago. So, um, so she's kind of in top form right now. I mean, she just clicked off another 515 515. climb outdoors and stuff. So, so, um, you know, she looks to be in great shape, and Ashima, Ashima just won uh, bouldering nationals uh, a few weeks ago. So, like, even though those two women didn't didn't win or didn't get the runner-up spot at the combined invitational, there is evidence as well that they are in kind of top form too. So, so that's what I mean when I say all four of these these women. You could you could really make a case for any of them as having oh, a good shot at qualifying. You know, for the Olympics. And same um, with the men. Same with the men. Drew. Wow, yeah, I mean he's crushing yeah, Drew, his rocks. Yep, he yep, and he's you know he's been at the top of he was he's placed, I think he got uh, second place at the 2018 Sport Nationals and um, second or third at the Bouldering Nationals that year. Um, he was third at this year's Bouldering Nationals, so he's kind of um, he's he's always he's I mean he got 
fifth place at the combined invitational uh, I think it was fifth place at the combined invitational this this year the American invite but um but he's also always I mean he always drew he always kind of finds a way to to make it onto the podium um he's got some real tenacity <laughs> and, and and so he's he's uh he's in the conversation and 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 Sean Bailey as well Sean Bailey won uh, bouldering nationals uh this year and he is also he is also a, one of the competitors who has the most international competition experience. He's, you know, dating back to 2016, 2017, he's been a consistent American name on the World Cup circuit for for lead for lead climbing. You know, and he's placed um, he's placed pretty high in in a number of different World Cup competitions abroad. So so he's a he's definitely. A, He's definitely got great potential as well. Um, so anybody, I guess what what it comes down to is anybody that says confidently they know who's going to you know qualify for the the Olympics, whether it's Americans or, or international. It's like ah, there's no way. There's no way to be confident about any of these picks. It's just mm-hmm. everybody has a good shot, and that's what makes it really exciting. Yeah, no, I'm, I couldn't be more excited about this. this I. I Many, many years ago, back when Snowbird, because I was actively involved in designing and building that wall, um, I was talking about the Olympics way back then. And many, many, many climbers thought I was crazy for even talking about the Olympics. Like, are you kidding? <clears throat> and uh, they thought yeah. of me almost as the Antichrist for even going there with that thought. And here we are. You know, so. Yeah, and even, you know, if you look back in, in the journalism from the period back in even like the mid 90s early 90s you start seeing some articles written and published about kind of wondering whether climbing could could be in the olympics someday and and that also you know now we have usa climbing as the the main american governing body for competition climbing but um but back in the in the you know in the 90s the Olympics was actually one of the big driving forces for the creation of any any governing body in the United States because the thinking was if if climbing is becomes an Olympic sport someday and we as the United States would want to have a competitor representing the US at the Olympics we have to have a governing body for competition climbing mm-hmm. for, you know for that to for that to happen so so the Olympics um were really um kind of a driving force for the for the formalizing of an American governing body for competition climbing. It just, it just, the, the, the governing body formed long before the Olympics thing became a reality, but, um, but it's all tied together. Wow. I'd say, uh, are you going to go into any of these events? I'd love to. Yeah. I mean, I I hope so. I, it's always the the tricky thing with writing about these events is it's always, and you, you probably know this as well, because you've been to, you know, a number of, the biggest uh, competitions, but if if I'm reporting on them, if I'm writing about them, it's almost easier to do it when you can kind of watch them in the privacy of your home, you know, <laughs> because when you're actually there, you get caught up in in the action um, and caught up to talking to various people. But I'm going to definitely try to go to the uh, the Continental Championship, the Pan Am one here in the United States, um, and I'll see if maybe I could go abroad to uh, to some of the other ones as well. So. I mean, it's, well, it's a I special did. time, you know, and, and anybody, anybody that loves competition climbing, this is, this is kind of history in the making here. So it's, it's a, you know, I would encourage anybody to try and be a part of it as a, as a fan, if nothing else. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you really think about it, when you go to the gyms and you see how good climbers are, I mean, they're just coming out of the woodwork. Kids, climbing, yeah. 12 years old, they're just crushing. And then... You think about the ones that are actually going to be competing in the Olympics, and they're on a whole different level. It's just mm-hmm. mind-boggling just how far climbing has gone in the last decade, even. Yeah. Oh, there's at at the local gym here. Um, there's actually a, a, a like a regulation speed wall, and so I, I hopped on it once, and you know my time was like atrocious. Um, and, and I would, anybody that's listening, if you can find a gym that has a regulation speed wall, just see if you can hop on it and like try to get up it at all, you know, much less try and get up it and, and clock a, a time. 
Um, <laughs> and, you know, you're like the average person is probably lucky to get up at all. If they get up and clock a time, it might be like a minute. It might be 40 seconds or 30 seconds. And then you look at, um, you know, people like, like Brooke Rabatou, Kyra Condi, or of course, you know, Piper Kelly, who's the uh, American record holder for the women, or John Brosler, who's the American record holder for the for men for speed climbing. I mean, they're clocking like five seconds, six seconds, eight seconds. You know, it's like, geez, that's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is, and and it's exciting to to think about where it's going to go from here. I mean, if climbing continues to be in the Olympics, 2020, 2024, I mean, it's it's gonna the the degree to which competition climbing is going to grow. Um, from a performative standpoint is is really that's awesome to think about and, and i couldn't be more excited thank you thank you thank you for uh sharing all this information john i really appreciate that because uh you're a wealth of information oh you're welcome i'm I, this is you know this is fun i love to talk about this stuff so um any chance i get i'm appreciative right on man and you know <laughs> Um, I look forward to seeing you at uh, Cinder One in Los Angeles in February. Yeah, that's great. Are you going to be there? Plan to be there? Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't miss it for the awesome. world. Awesome. That's right great. On, I love it. Yeah, hey. uh, that'd be great. We'll meet up there. You got it, man. Hey, take care of yourself. I'm sure we'll be talking again here soon. I'll let you know when this Sounds- is being posted. Sounds great, Dan. Really appreciate it. Nice to talk you to you. You take care, man. You too, man. Wow. All right. <laughs> I don't know about you, but... That conversation just got me super jacked for the upcoming 2020 Olympics. If you want to watch the latest competitions, which are broken down into categories, speed, bouldering, lead, and combine, please visit our website at www.tribbleblack.com. And make sure you sign up for the latest results and videos depicting the world's greatest climbers competing for a spot in the 2020 Olympics. Which, as you just heard from John Bergman, the only country that is guaranteed to spot for the men's and women's is Japan, the host country. As to who will be representing your country is anyone's guess. As you just heard, there is no guarantee that anyone will secure a spot. The competition is that intense. Already well-known and highly regarded American climbers like Alec Pujo and Kai Leitner are out because they failed to make the U.S. team. For those fortunate enough to make the team, they will have three opportunities to make it to the Olympics. Put these dates on your calendar. August 20th through August 21st in Tokyo, Japan. At that event, seven of the highest placed athletes, both male and female, will automatically qualify for a spot. The next one, November 28th through December 1st in Toulouse, France. At this event, six of the highest placed athletes, both male and female, will automatically qualify for a spot. Then, depending on which country you'll be representing, you'll have one more opportunity to qualify during the Continental Championships. For example, in the United States, your last shot, your very last opportunity to make it to the Olympics will be in Los Angeles between February 27th through March 1st. It's important to note, however, only the winners from these competitions, from the male and female divisions, will be invited So the competition is guaranteed to be extremely intense. As to how the scores are tallied, I highly recommend visiting our webpage at trollblack.com under World Cup Climbing. Click on Combine Climbing. We break it down for you as to how the scores are actually tallied. I'll leave you with a couple examples because the score calculations can be confusing, especially for someone that's not familiar with the format. Let's say a competitor comes in 10th in speed climbing, 3rd in bouldering, and 2nd in lead. The athlete score would be calculated as follows. 10 times 3 times 2 equals 60. While another athlete comes in 1st in speed, 4th in bouldering, and 3rd in lead with a combined score 1 times 4 times 3 equals 12. While yet another climber comes in 3rd in speed, first in bouldering, and second in lead. Their score would be tallied three times one times two equals six. The results, the athlete with the lowest score, six in this case, would be the gold medal winner. The athlete with the next lowest score, in this case, 12, would be the silver medalist, and so forth. I know it's a lot to take in, but over the next few months on our road to the Olympics, we'll be interviewing 
all the top contenders to learn and discover what it's like to be a contender for a spot and what is guaranteed to be the most exciting and most anticipated new sport in Olympic history. So make sure you sign up. You don't want to miss a single interview. And last but not least, special thanks to Ben Sound for this kick-ass music. Thank you so very much. If anyone wants some royalty-free music and music that you can purchase for a reasonable price, go to bensound.com. Until next time, my friends, this is Dan Goodwin with TroubleBlack.com. <laughs>